Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about childhood cancer with Dr. Mary Hogan. Dr. Hogan is an associate professor of clinical pediatrics and hematology oncology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. So, Dr. Hogan, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do. Sure. Well, I am currently working in our Smilo Cancer uh, Clinic in New Haven, as well as our clinics located in Trumbull and Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, I've come uh, by way of a lot of different uh, avenues. Uh, my research initially has focused on um, treating uh, brain tumors in mice in the laboratory, uh, but more recently have uh, done more research in childhood cancer survivorship issues, and currently am also doing um, uh, clinical education issues for colleagues and trainees, as well as helping uh, families and patients with learning about cancer. Terrific. Well, so, you know, we're talking here about childhood cancers, and that's something that everyone always finds really distressing, the fact that children can get cancer. So can you tell us a little bit more about the epidemiology of childhood cancers? I mean, how many children in the U.S. get diagnosed with cancer every year? And and um, so how common is it? And what kinds of cancers are, are we talking about here? Sure. Well, um, childhood cancers are uh, more rare compared Compared to adult cancers, um, there are approximately 2 million adults every year diagnosed with cancer in the United States. And this is compared to about 15,000 children and teens in the United States diagnosed every year. Um, and uh, cancer, I'll just sort of describe it a little bit here, um, is an abnormal um, increase in cells in the body of abnormal cells that don't function or don't work in the body and they take up space. And, and this doesn't allow the regular body organs uh, to do their job and keep us healthy. Um, and so uh, most common cancers in children uh, are, are in leukemia, and this is an abnormal accumulation of white blood cells. White blood cells typically fight infection, but in leukemias, um, uh, they just take up space um, and so that you cannot fight infection. Uh, the second most common type of cancer in children are brain tumors. This is where there's an abnormal growth um, tumor or mass in the brain. Uh, the third most common are lymphomas. This is a cancer found in the lymph nodes, which are glands located throughout our body that help us uh, fight infection. Um, and then the remaining cancers are uh, involve the soft tissues of the body, such as the muscles or the various organs of the body, including the nerves outside the brain or the kidney or the bone, um, anywhere in the body. Um, so it's it's it, it uh, it's very rare um, compared to adult cancer, but um, still obviously very important. Yeah, you know when we think about 
um, adult cancers, very often there's an exposure. So, for example, in lung cancer, we know that there's a great association with cigarette smoking or any smoking, really. Um, for melanoma, we know that there's an exposure uh, to radiation, often from the sun that 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 occurs. For children, um, one would anticipate just because they are children that they've had less exposures to potential potential carcinogens. So, can you talk a little bit more about the risk factors for developing childhood cancers? Are many of these genetic, or are there other things that predispose some children to developing childhood cancers versus others? Overall, uh, most causes of childhood cancer are unknown. Uh, we have learned over the past 50 years, though, that about 5 to 10% may be inherited. Um, there are about uh, 50 um, cancer predisposition syndromes that we call uh, based on genetic mutations that a child may inherit, um, passed on through the family, um, or are born with, uh, in which uh there are many other symptoms, uh, so when we discover a condition like this, uh, we uh, recommend uh, looking um, at the child uh, every couple of months to years, looking for cancer itself. Um, some cancers have been associated with viral illness. Um, Epstein-Barr virus has been associated with our lymphomas. Um, HIV uh, has been associated with certain cancers. And uh might have heard of human papillomavirus, uh, which we are now uh, giving vaccines in the teenage years uh, to people to prevent uh, several cancers um, in uh, adulthood. Uh, a parent uh, who has been exposed to uh, radiation uh, while the child is in the womb, um, the child may be affected with cancer. Um, there have been some reports possibly of pesticides uh, during exposure while in the womb or as a very young child um, causing cancers. Uh, these are not um, directly uh, effective, but uh, there have been several reports. And um, in our children who have had previous cancers, they are at an increased risk of having cancer um, because of uh, either their genetic predisposition or they've been exposed to certain of our treatments uh, that can increase risk of cancer. But in general, um, most causes are unknown. Uh, it is Cancer is not something that is contagious, uh, and uh, it's not something necessarily that you uh, can avoid or, uh, or something that you've done to yourself uh, necessarily. Um, so no one is really to blame for the cancer. Yeah. You know, when you think about most causes being unknown and only about 5 to 10% being genetic, and then the other etiologic factors that we know about, so, you know, viral infections and, and uh, intrauterine exposures to various toxins and so on, which one would presumably think would be a fairly small proportion, that leaves the vast majority to be something that is not something that you can even anticipate. Um, so given that, you know, if you're a, a new parent and you have a healthy child, um, you know, you're not really expecting that that child will develop cancer. 
can you tell us a little bit more about some of the side effects, some of the, the symptoms that you should be looking for that might tip you off, that there might be something wrong that might be a cancer? Is there a way that we can diagnose these early? Um, it's very difficult to diagnose cancers early in children. Um, uh, you'd need a sizable amount of these abnormal cells to actually show themselves and to show a sign or symptom. Uh, and please note that I will describe a whole long list of signs and symptoms, but typically children present with a combination of these symptoms. So not just one symptom means cancer. Uh, there's a combination. And often the symptoms that uh, people present with, or children present with, and, and grownups too, uh, the signs um, are persistent uh, and they worsen over time. And they typically can't be explained by um, an infection or an injury uh, that the child has had. So it's mostly unexplained, but worsening of symptoms. And there's a long list of symptoms. Um, unexplained weight loss. So not that the child's not eating enough or um, losing weight uh, from uh, too much exercise and so not eating enough as well. Uh, it's weight loss that you can't explain. They're eating fine. Fevers that you can't explain that persist and worsen, not from a simple infection or even a complicated infection, um, but fevers that just cannot be explained. Night sweats. Uh, not getting a little damp at night, but um, if your T-shirt and bedding and pillow and hair are soaked and you have to change it and you're like, where did this come from? I'm not even warm. I don't even have a fever. What is going on? Um, headaches. Headaches are a common sign. Um, headaches are common uh, for a lot of people, but uh, the ones that we are more worrisome usually uh, occur in the early morning. Uh, are associated with vomiting, uh, sometimes awaken you at night, and they don't respond to Tylenol or ibuprofen or simple uh, remedies uh, that we use for headaches or hydration, sleep. Um, if uh, a parent notices swelling um, or pain in arms or legs or the back of a child, um, if you notice a uh, a mass in the neck or in the armpits or in the abdomen or, or pelvis that's just sticking out, um, that can be a sign of cancer. Um, if they're in combination with all these other signs and symptoms, if there's a lot of bruising or bleeding or a rash that just doesn't go away with simple um, interventions. Uh, if somebody ha seems very pale, um, and it worsens over time or is tired, not explained by, um, you know, uh, only sleeping for five hours a night or um, being tired uh, without um, really knowing why. Um, if anybody has any vision changes uh, that's not explained or corrected with simple glasses, um, you know, uh, these in combination uh, along with um, a good physical exam by the pediatrician uh, is very important uh, to see if a person has uh, uh, signs or symptoms that seem to be like cancer. 
And so, you know, many of those really seem like uh, they would be commonplace. And I think one of the things that you made clear is that while these symptoms may seem commonplace, a little bit of fatigue, a little bit of, you know, uh, fever, uh, maybe a headache, um, if these are persistent um, and unexplained otherwise, that's really when you want to see your pediatrician and, and kind of get this checked out. One question that our listeners might have is, how persistent is persistent? Like, should I wait a week, two weeks, two months? When would you suggest that if if a child is not doing so well, um, how long should you wait before you, you go and, and seek medical advice? It's a great question. And um, I think it's dependent on each situation. Definitely, if a child is uh, getting worse each day or each hour, uh, and you know your child, uh, they'll run around and play. And um, when they're not feeling well, they don't. And if you're noticing more of that they're not playing, they're not eating, they're not doing the things they need to do, um, then you need to uh, uh, contact your pediatrician and tell them of your concerns and have the pediatrician take a look. So I, I wouldn't wait uh, too long. On the other hand, if the symptoms are very mild and they come and go, um, they don't impact the child's activities or school or appetite, um, and their uh, uh, resolve for months on end, um, then that is not a time to necessarily contact your pediatrician. Whatever happened, it has resolved. Okay, great. Well, we're going to dive more into the diagnosis and treatment of childhood cancers right after we take a quick break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about the care of childhood cancer with my guest, Dr. Mary Hogan. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital where the gynecologic oncology program brings together a team of clinicians whose focus is to care for women with gynecologic cancers. Learn more at YaleCancerCenter.org slash G-Y-N-O-N-C. There are over 16.9 million cancer survivors in the U.S. and over 240,000 here in Connecticut. Completing treatment for cancer is a very exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. The return to normal activities and relationships may be difficult, and cancer survivors may face other long-term side effects of cancer, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources for cancer survivors are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, to keep cancer survivors well and focused on healthy living. The Smilo Cancer Hospital Survivorship Clinic focuses on providing guidance and direction to empower survivors to take steps to maximize their health, quality of life, and longevity. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Mary Hogan. 
We're talking about the care of patients with childhood cancer in honor of Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And right before the break, Mary, you were telling us about all of the symptoms that you should really be watching for. What can you expect in terms of a workup for a potential cancer? Tell us more about how the diagnosis of childhood cancers uh, are made. So your pediatrician, a child's pediatrician uh, may order some blood tests or some simple imaging such as x-rays or an ultrasound. And when they find something abnormal or alarming or not sure, they'll refer to a pediatric oncologist. And um, we will often get blood tests. Um, we will often get other imaging uh more advanced, such as CT scans or MRIs. And based on those, uh, then we get our experts, uh, pediatric surgeons, to help us uh, get a biopsy of a mass that we might have found on the imaging. Or we ask our specialists in pathology to take a look at the blood samples to see if there's any abnormal cells there. Um, and then once we have uh, an idea that it is a cancer, we do even more extensive testing to find out the exact kind of cancer so that we can uh, deliver the most uh, appropriate therapy for the best outcomes. I can only imagine that when that diagnosis comes down and you tell a child's parent that, that, that their child has cancer, that that can be just devastating for that family. Tell me more about... Um, how you kind of get patients and their families through that kind of a diagnosis? Sure. Cancer is a devastating diagnosis. Um, everybody has been touched by cancer in some way or form, uh, whether it be a relative or a, a neighbor, and uh, they bring their own experiences with them to this. Um, so once you hear your child has cancer, as you said, it is devastating um, and everybody is in shock. And uh, it, it is difficult uh, to deliver that news. However, at the same time, we want to get the child better and we want to cure and we want to get moving on a treatment uh, so we can get there. So uh, we don't uh, want to wait too long in um, belaboring it. Uh, so we want to be supportive of the family. We have social workers and psychologists help us so that we can deliver the news um, to where the family is and understanding um, from their experiences, but also the child. Um, at different ages, you have different um, uh, cognitive abilities. You uh, And so it's important to uh, answer their questions appropriately, and make them aware of this. Uh, they are uh, directly involved in the treatment. They will need um, blood tests and imaging, as I mentioned, and the therapies that we give have to be sometimes taken by mouth or given intravenously, or um, you have to sit still for uh radiation therapy. Uh, so the child needs to be um, aware of why they're getting the therapy and um, and uh, what it means to, to complete your treatment of therapy. Uh, it's a very difficult conversation. Uh, and um, and we all are upset by it. Uh, and at the same time, we, we want to 
We want to help. <laughs> and and I, I do find that that a lot of kids are are really pretty resilient <laughs> and they will they will power through that um, with uh, with some form of enthusiasm, even when their parents um, may may be more devastated than the child sometimes. For sure. Kids are amazing. They're like, how long is this going to take? I need to get to baseball <laughs> practice. What, you know, is this going to interfere with the prom? Because we need to rearrange this, you know, treatment schedule. You know, and, and so we ask the kids, you know, where are you at? What do we need to do? How do, how do we get you to the clinic? And how do we get you to the more important things of your life as well? Yeah. Uh, so kids are amazing. So, and so talk, the parents. To, talk, talk to us a little bit more about um, the, the various treatment modalities that are used to treat children with cancer. And, and if you can, and I realize that it's a little difficult given the fact that there are so many different kinds of cancer that are kind of all clumped under the umbrella of childhood cancer. But talk to us a bit about the types of therapies and their duration so that we can get a sense of what exactly does treatment look like for these kids? Sure. So treatment is directed toward the specific type of cancer. And every year we uh, become more specific about the type of cancer you have. We just don't lump it under leukemia now. We, we literally go down the path of a, a directed, uh, targeted therapies. And the reason why we do that is to reduce toxic effects from these medications. If you don't need as much therapy to achieve a cure, we would like to eliminate those therapies. Whereas if you have a more difficult cancer to treat, we want to give you all the available therapies. Um, and therapies, as I mentioned before, uh, can be taken by mouth or intravenously or given in a variety of different ways. Um, so our basic treatments are called chemotherapy. Um, they're given in combinations because they act on the cancer cells differently. Um, and over the past 50 years, um, based on children who have enrolled in our clinical trials, we've come up with standard of care throughout the nation, uh, how best to treat this. And we're always trying to improve upon this. Um, more recently to our chemotherapies, um, well, not more recently, but standardly to chemotherapies, certain cancers may need radiation therapy where special um, ionized particles are delivered to the cancer site to um, kill cancer cells. Um, surgery is also very important in our treatment of cancers uh, for certain types of cancers uh, where the tumor is removed. And we now have more recently um, immune therapy where we can uh, give medication um, to target a protein on the tumor, which will um, allow our immune system to attack the tumor or cancer as if it was foreign. And that's really cool. And our targeted therapies uh, work by um, attacking the gene that's in the gene mutations that are in the cancer cells uh, so that we're leaving our normal healthy cells alone. Uh, so we have very strong therapies called uh, hematopoietic stem cell transplant or bone marrow transplant. Uh, where uh, strong medicines given to eliminate the cancers, not 
um, many uh, cancers require this at all for therapy. And we also have even stronger therapy called chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy, also uh, used in very rare instances. Cancer therapy may last as long as two to three years in certain cases, and as short as, you know, three to six months. Um, so it, it really, uh, it, it's on us to find the exact cancer you have and uh, to treat it appropriately. And so one would imagine that with whatever type of therapy uh, kids get treated with for their childhood cancer, um, that's going to cause some side effects. And so whether this is a three-month course of therapy or a three-year course of therapy, how do you deal with some of those side effects? So can you talk to us about those side effects that, that kids may face going through cancer therapy and how that kind of affects their lives, both in terms of the time in which they're getting the therapy. So how does that affect, you know, them going to school and, and uh, you know, in, interacting with their friends and so on and so forth, as well as long term? I mean, um, are there effects that people should be cognizant of um, in terms of the long term side effects of some of these therapies for childhood cancer? Yeah, so uh one of our uh, secondary goals during our cancer therapy is to make sure um, kids get back to school and keep up with their schoolwork and all their fun activities, but um, uh, make sure they don't get too many delays in school. So um, uh, we can, uh, sometimes the children will be back in the classroom. Sometimes we will need to provide tutors because they're in the hospital setting. So some of the short-term side effects of our medication uh range from mild, where you don't really notice it, to more severe, where we need to give supportive medications uh, so that uh, it eliminates these side effects. Um, a common side effects is nausea and vomiting. Um, and this is dealt with with uh, mild to very strong anti-nausea medications. We have multiple combinations of them. Uh, and uh, compared to 30 years ago, um, not Many of our children need to be hospitalized for intravenous fluid uh, because they're having excessive uh, nausea and vomiting. Uh, another common side effect is, uh, with certain therapies is uh, hair loss. It is temporary, but also um, very upsetting. Uh, we haven't found a, a supportive uh, cure for that just yet, but uh, we, um, some children will wear hats or wigs uh, to make them feel more comfortable. Uh, another side effect is to our blood cells. Our blood cells help us fight infection. Those are the white blood cells. Our red blood cells carry oxygen to a body. Those are the red cells. And the platelets um, help us clot blood, our blood when we're injured. And so sometimes um, a person may need uh, transfusions or um, injections of medications to stimulate the production of these cells so that you don't feel tired and that you don't have nosebleeds and that you uh, don't have infections. Um, we are giving uh, many uh, preventative medications for infections uh, so that there are less hospitalizations for um, bacterial infections or fungal infections. Um, those are some of the uh, short-term side effects. Um, 
I think the main one that I didn't talk about was feeling tired. Um, and we try to, uh, improve that their energy levels with, uh, nutrition and, uh, supporting the red blood cell count as much as we can, but we often will, uh, recommend, um, not going full tilt on all your activities until the therapy's over. Um, but do what you can, um, because we really, um, support you going to school and seeing your friends and continuing with your activities. Over the long term, um, some children may uh, uh, suffer a severe side effect from their medication at the time of the chemotherapy treatments, and so may have residual side effects later on. M most children who have completed their therapy do well, but approximately 40% of our childhood cancer survivors may have one or more um, late effects. Those are signs or symptoms in other parts of the body that it can cause issues. Dr. Mary Hogan is an associate professor of clinical pediatrics and hematology oncology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.